0: Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Joshua chapter number 10. Joshua chapter number 10. And we are in a series that we've been calling, Whatever It Takes, Whatever It Takes. Whatever it takes. And we're talking about what it's gonna to take to see God do a miracle in our midst. What is gonna to take to see God show up and do something miraculous as we go to two services. And so more than a series, this has been a campaign for us as a church. We're talking about whatever it's going to take. We've talked about how it's going to take partnership. We've gotta do this together. Last week we said that it's going to take surrender. We've got to have a heart of surrender, open hands. And today we're going to talk about how it's going to take faith. It's going to take faith. And I want to preach a message today that I'm calling Running Out of Daylight. Running Out of Daylight. From Joshua chapter number 10. If you're ready today, would you say amen? Amen. Joshua chapter 10. And we'll go ahead and start reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, Now it came to pass when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. And they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty wherefore adonizedek king of jerusalem sent to hoham king of hebron king of hebron unto uh king of jarmuth and unto uh king of lachish and unto Deber, king of eglon saying so all these kings together they come together and uh, verse number four he says come up unto me and help me that we may smite gibeon for it hath made peace with joshua and with the children of israel Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites and the king of Jerusalem and the king of Hebron and the king of Jarmuth and the king of Lachish and the king of Eglon gathered themselves together. And they went up and all their hosts and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war and all the mighty men of valor. Watch verse number eight. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up unto Beth Horon and smote them to Azekah and unto Machaṭa, verse number eleven. And it came to pass, as they fled from before Israel, that they were going down to Beth Horon. The Lord cast down great stones from heaven unto them, uh, unto uh, Azekah, and they died. And there were more uh, which died with the hailstones than they which uh, than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Now watch verse number twelve. And they spake. Joshua, then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said, in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still. Son, stand still. Upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still. And the moon stayed Until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies, is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hastened not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Today I want to talk about how we can have an uncomfortable and an audacious type of faith. And as we go to two services in two weeks as a church family, we're willing to do whatever it takes. And I'm here today to tell you that it's going to take great faith. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 10 this morning. We're going to talk about a life of faith. Let's bow our heads together. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this opportunity to come and just to worship you today. God, thank you for the songs that reminded us about your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, I pray that we would never lose sight of the fact that you sent your only begotten son to the cross to die in our place and rose again victoriously on the third day, defeating sin, death, and the grave so that we can have a real relationship with you so that we can have a reconciliation, that we can have redemption through your blood And God, I pray that we would just remember the fact that we can have a home in heaven because of what you did for us. And God, today I pray that we can be encouraged through Joshua chapter 10. I pray that we can see what it looks like to live a life of great faith. God, I pray that our faith would be increased this morning. I pray that our prayer lives would be strengthened this morning. And God, I pray that you would uh, be pleased with everything that's said and done in our time together. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever had a really long day? Can I see your hands? You just had a long day? You know like those long days where you get in bed at night and you think about the morning, and you're like, that was today? (laughs) You know, that that seems like two weeks ago. And uh, I remember when I was uh, growing up, our family, we went on a trip to... Europe. And uh, we were getting ready to go. We, we were heading to LAX. We had to leave our house at 3 a.m. To, to get to the airport. And so we were waking up early. We went to the airport. We were going to fly all the way to Europe, fly to Scotland. And uh, it was a long flight. We flew all day. And because of time change, when we got to Scotland, it was like still 7 a.m. Uh, and, so, and so it was a full day still ahead of us, even though we had woken up at 3, flew all day. And uh, so we got there. And instead of maybe going to the hotel and maybe taking a nap, and uh, kind of getting some rest. My dad was like, no, we're gonna go see the sights and we're gonna go and see everything that we can possibly see. And so we were like, all right. And so we were going to all these museums and seeing all these places and it was wonderful, but we were getting exhausted. And I remember that afternoon we were inside uh, some museum. I don't even remember what the museum was, but I was so tired in that late afternoon that I literally, literally just sat on the floor. And before you knew it, I fell asleep on the floor of some random museum. I was just so exhausted, I was so tired. And uh, we had just been going all day. And uh, you know who's had some really long days? Jack Bauer. Yeah. You ever seen the show, show 24? Anybody ever seen that show? Like the, the amount of things that he could do in one day is pretty incredible, right? And uh, he's had some long days. Some of you are like, get to the Bible. Okay. Um, <laughs> we come to Joshua chapter 10 and we're about to see described a, an extraordinarily long day. In fact, this was a miraculously long day that that, that God, because of one man's prayer, because of one man's faith, he literally put the universe on pause and made the sun stand still. It was a miraculously, extraordinarily long day. In fact, notice what our text says in verse number 13. And the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So, so the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hastened not to go down about a whole day. And so this was a, a very long day and this miraculous, extraordinary, extraordinary event took place because of one man's faith. Because Joshua decided to pray this bold, audacious prayer to make the sun stand still, and God answered that prayer, and we see this great faith. Now, as you study the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you quickly learn that faith is a key doctrine for a believer, right? We are told that we are saved by faith. We are told that we are to walk by faith, that we're to live by faith. In fact, the Bible tells us that anything that we do in our lives apart from faith, it's sin. And so we know that faith is pretty important in the Bible. But what I found is a lot of times we know how to talk about faith, but we don't know how to live a life of faith. Faith is one of those things that it's easier to verbalize. It's a lot harder to exercise. It's a lot harder to actually put it into practice and to live a life of faith and we can say yeah I want to I want to live a life of faith but so often we function by what we see and we move forward only when we can see something and see how it's going to play out and so uh, we see this incredible faith uh, from Joshua in Joshua chapter number 10 the Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he was talking about uh, the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men and where we should put our faith. And he says this in verse number 5, that your faith, everybody say faith. faith, that your faith should stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, so don't place your faith in what you know or in the wisdom of men. Make sure that you are placing your faith in the power of God. And so he was saying the problem is not that you are missing faith, The problem is that you have misdirected your faith. You're placing your faith in the wisdom of men rather than in the power of God. And so often we put our faith in all the wrong places. We put our trust in all the wrong places. We put our hope in all the wrong places. The Bible says this in Psalm 20, verse number seven, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. And so, so often we put our faith, we put our trust in what we know, in our ability In our intellect and our intuition, based on our education and our experiences. And we put our faith and trust in these things. But there ought to be some people that say, you know what? Uh, You can put your faith in in chariots. You can put your faith in horses. But I'm going to put my faith in the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And today I just want to tell you that my hope is not in some political party. My hope is not in my ability. My hope is not in religion. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness my my hope is in jesus my faith is in jesus and so often our faith is misdirected and we are trusting in what we know and in our ability and in our flesh rather than stepping out into a realm of something that is uncomfortable and placing our faith in jesus alone jeremiah said this in jeremiah chapter 17 he said blessed is the man that trust that trusteth in the lord and whose hope the Lord is. So you want to live a blessed life? Want to experience true joy? Walk by faith. Put your trust in Jesus. Yeah. Blessed is that man that puts his trust in the Lord. So, so we know that we're supposed to have faith. I think we could all agree, okay, I'm supposed to live by faith and trust God. We, we know that we're supposed to have faith. But there's this interesting verse in Second Peter that gives us a little more insight to a life of faith. And I believe that if we can get a hold of this Concept idea can really radically transform the way that we view faith. It's a paramount verse. Would you like to see it? Yeah, yeah. Second Peter, chapter number one, verse number five, it says this. And beside this, giving all diligence, and he says these four words add to your faith. Add to your faith. Then he says virtue, and a virtue, knowledge, and a knowledge, temperance, and a temperance, patience, and patience, godliness. But he says, he says, add to your faith. And so this gives us a clue on how we're to live by faith. We are to add. To our faith. Did you know that you can add to your faith? You can build upon your faith. And so let me ask you this morning, how then are you adding to your faith? How are you building your faith? See, a life of great faith doesn't happen by accident. A life of great faith happens by addition. When we build to our faith, when we add to our faith, so how are we doing it? How are we adding to our faith? How are we building up our faith because if we're going to be a church that reaches people far from God and we're going to see lives change we've got to build to our faith we've got to add to our faith we've got to stretch our faith in a way that pleases God and so we come to Joshua chapter 10 and we're going to see this example of Joshua adding to his faith, building to his faith, and stretching his faith in an amazing way that we can glean from. But I think before we get into verses 1 through 10, I think it'd be helpful for us to kind of catch our bearings of where we are in Joshua chapter 10. And uh, so a little bit of context leading up to Joshua chapter 10. Uh, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and so God raised up a man. His name was Moses. Everybody say Moses. Moses. And So Moses, uh, God was going to use him to be a deliverer, to be a mediator for his people. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And the ten plagues and uh, and they eventually uh, find themselves wandering in the middle of the wilderness. And they're wandering out there 40 years. And then Moses ends up uh, dying. And then God raises up a new leader. His name is Joshua. Joshua was the son of Nun. And Joshua was this next leader in line. Joshua uh, takes the children of Israel. They cross the Jordan River. They enter into that promised land that God had promised them, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so uh, now they're there, and and, uh, they're in the promised land. But when they got to the promised land, the children of Israel were met with great conflict. And they were going to have to battle these people called the Canaanites. And before they could enjoy the blessings of the promised land, they had to engage in the battle. By the way, some of life's greatest blessings are worth battling for. And so they get to the promised land they have to battle these people called the canaanites and i think it's helpful because you know you can read a story like we just read uh, just a moment ago in in the old testament in joshua chapter 10 verses 1 through uh, 14 and you can think you know why why all the wars and why the fighting and, and why would god's people be involved uh, in this kind of bloodshed and what, what, what's going on here well you have to remember and you have to understand culturally who the canaanites were because the canaanites were a, a godless and wicked and evil culture and evil society in fact, the Canaanites were involved in some of the most grotesque and vile sexual abuse and sin that you could possibly imagine, things that we wouldn't even speak about in a public setting. That was what the Canaanites were doing under the guise of worship to their false idols, and so this was, this was a corrupt culture. In fact, the Canaanite culture was so corrupt, it was so evil that they were literally practicing on a regular basis child sacrifice. And so the Canaanite culture was a, was a godless society. It was a wicked society, and God was demonstrating great justice because our God is a holy God, and, and he's a God of holiness and righteousness, and he is, he is just. And so we see that uh, the Israelites, they come in here to the promised land, and they're, they're having all these battles, and so they end up battling different places. They battle uh, uh, the, uh, the city of Jericho. How many remember the story of Jericho, right? The walls came tumbling down, and so they battle Jericho, and they battle uh, Ai. They eventually get the victory in Ai. And then we come to Joshua chapter 10, and they're going to uh, face their biggest battle yet. And uh, not only are they going to face one nation, but they're going to face five nations, these combined uh, forces, this coalition of, of armies coming together to fight against Israel. And so this was, uh, this was a scary situation. Not only that, the Bible tells us that they were running out of daylight. They were running out of time. And so their back is against the wall, and they're, they're up against their biggest enemy yet. And it's in this moment. It's in this scenario that we see an example of great faith. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just give us three ways that we can build up our faith, three ways that we can add to our faith, uh, three, three principles uh, that can help us do this. If you're ready, would you say amen? Amen. Three principles that can help us build our faith. Number one, we have to remember this. When the odds are against you, God is for you. When the odds are against you, God is for you. If you're with me already, would you say amen? Amen. Notice verse number one. It says this, Now it came to pass when Adonizedek, now that's a fun name, everybody say Adonizedek. There we go. Uh, it came to pass when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and her king. So he had come to Ai and her king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. So uh, this king Adonizedek, he hears about what God's doing with Israel and he hears about what happened at Jericho. He hears about what happened at Ai. And so he wants to uh, respond by by waging a war against Gibeon and by waging a war against Israel. But this king Adonizedek, uh, he's an interesting character because the name Adonizedek literally means this, Lord of Righteousness. And so his name means Lord of Righteousness, but if you know anything about Adonizedek, as we'll see that he was a wicked, uh, he was an ungodly man, and so he had this name that did not align with his nature. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, as, as Christians, we've been given names. We are children of God. We're a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. we have this identity. We have these names, but I wonder, does our name align with our nature are we living in a way that represents the name of Jesus well or are we misrepresenting the names that we have been giving see the Bible says this in in Revelation chapter three verse number one and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these uh, things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know thy works thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead you have a name that, that you're alive and that you're doing well and you have, this, you have this reputation that things are going okay, but you're actually spiritually dead. Yeah. You're actually far from where God wants you to be and so often we can put on a front and we can have a name like, hey, we have all the answers and we have it figured out and we can smile and we're going through our routine. Things are fine, but our name does not align with our nature. Yeah. Here's Adonai the Lord of righteousness, but he's a wicked, evil king. Now... Through this battle that Adonizedek is going to rage against Gibeon and Joshua, Joshua is going to learn two very important principles. And the first thing that he's going to learn is how to deal with his past. All right, he's going to learn how to deal with his past. Notice verse number two. That they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. So he's talking about Gibeon and how how Israel made this alliance with Gibeon. Notice verse three. Wherefore, Adonisadec, king of Jerusalem, uh, sent unto Hohem, king of Hebron, and to Purim, the king of Jarmuth, and to Japhiah, king of Lachish, and unto Debra, the king of Eglon, saying, So he gets these other four kings together. So they're all joining forces. They're coming together, this coalition of five kings against one nation. And uh, notice what, he, what happens in verse number four. Come unto me and help me, that we may smite Gibeon. Watch this. For it hath made peace with Joshua and the children of Israel. So uh, Adonai, king of Jerusalem, he's getting all these kings together, and he's saying, hey, we've got to go and fight Gibeon. Why does he want to fight against Gibeon? What's he so upset about? He wants to fight against Gibeon because the nation of Gibeon, uh, they made this league. They made this alliance with Israel, with Joshua. Now, we can read all about that in Joshua chapter number 9. The chapter before tells us how the nation of Israel made this alliance with the Gibeonites. Now, let me just tell you, uh, that was an alliance that they should have never made. The Bible made it very clear, God's law made it clear, that they should not have this alliance with the people of Canaan, with the Canaanites, but that's exactly what Joshua did, because Joshua, in fact, was deceived. He was tricked by the Gibeonites. In fact, uh, notice what the Bible says in Joshua chapter number 9 and verse number 6. If you're still with me, would you say Amen. amen. Now, we, I'm teaching through this a little bit because we've got we've to understand the context here before we can understand the, uh, the truths that God wants us to apply to our lives. So we've got to understand what's taking place. Joshua chapter 9, verse number 6 says this, And they went to Joshua, this is the people of Gibeon, into the camp at Gilgal, and they said unto him, and to the men of Israel, we become from a far country, now therefore make ye a league with us. And if you read the whole story, what happened was the Gibeonites, they were really uh, kind of tricksters, they were deceivers, and they were like, you know what, uh, we need to make an alliance with Joshua so the nation of Israel doesn't attack us, and we know that we're not going to we are not going to beat them, we're not going to uh, be able to fight against them and be successful because they got God on their side, and so uh, we need to uh, trick them and act like we're just from a far country, and so literally they put on some old clothes, and they put dirt all over their faces, and, and they, they made themselves look really weird and tired and they said hello Joshua we're from a far country and and, uh, please be merciful on us can you just make an alliance with us and so Joshua without seeking the Lord says okay let's make an alliance with them which is something that he should not have done and now here in chapter number 10 because he made that league with Gibeon because he made that alliance with Gibeon now he's suffering the consequences of his poor decision because now he is obligated to help Gibeon in this moment see there's always consequences for the choices that we make Now, God is a God of grace, and he's a God of second chances and third chances, and God wants to do a great work in our lives, and he's going to show us grace, but also we have to recognize that there's going to be consequences for the decisions that we make. By the way, be very careful with whom you make an alliance. Joshua said, okay, let's make this alliance. Let's do this. And so now Joshua and Israel, they're in this alliance with the Gibeon, and now Adonizedek, the king of Jerusalem, hears about this, and he says, hey, uh, we're going to fight you now. And so now Joshua's back is against the wall, and now he is outnumbered five to one. Notice what it says in verse 5. Therefore, five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, and the king of Jarmuth, and the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together, and they went up and all their hosts, and they camped before Gibeon and made a war against it. And so what we see is now Joshua is completely outnumbered. His back is against the wall. He has this obligation to help Gibeon. He already gave him the, uh, his word. He already made this alliance. And so now it's five to one. And it seems like he doesn't, it, it seems like all the battles and all the conflict is coming at him right at once. Have you ever felt like the troubles in your life were just coming at you from all directions? Like sometimes it's just like, okay, I'm struggling financially. And other times like, man, I'm struggling with my relationships, And other times it's like, man, I'm struggling, you know, in my marriage. I'm struggling uh, with my my church life. I'm struggling with my Bible reading. But then there are those times when it's like, man, I'm struggling with my health. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with my finances all at once. And it seems like all of our problems are just kind of surrounding us and attacking us all at once. And so here's Gibeon. And here's Joshua, outnumbered, five to one. Their back is against the wall. But here, here's what I want you to see. If you stay with me, say amen. amen. It wasn't only Adonizedek that was getting these kings together, that was getting these enemies together, it was also the Lord. Because God was actually going to deliver a great victory to Joshua and to Israel through this season. And instead of Joshua having to fight uh, all of these nations one at a time in individual campaigns, I'm going to fight this city, and I'm going to fight this city, and I'm going to fight this city. No, no, no. God was bringing them all together so that he could defeat all of them at once. And so what looked like a greater adversity was actually a greater advantage for Joshua and for the Israelites. See, God wanted to show up and do something great in their midst. God wanted to show up and say, hey, I can take care of all five nations. Hey, I'm the kind of God that likes to hit five birds with one stone. I can come together. I can take care of all of your problems all at once and so it might look like a great uh, a disadvantage but god's saying i can show up and i can do something special in this moment see god ended up taking joshua's mistake and turned it into a miracle right. god, god used joshua's failure to accelerate his victory that's because god is a god of grace He's a God of love. And he says, I know you made that alliance that you shouldn't have made. And I know that you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have made that pact with Gibeon. But I'm going to still show up. And I'm going to still do something special in your life and in your season. I love what the Bible says in Isaiah 43. Remember ye not the former things, uh, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I just want to remind you this morning that when the odds are against you, there is opportunity before you if you'll seize it. Uh, When the odds are against you, God is for you. He's not just for a future version of you. He's not just for a better version of you. God is for you right where you are he loves you in this season in the next season God loves you and he's a God of grace and he wants to provide for you no matter what season you might be in and so when the odds are against us God is for us and and Joshua's learning how to deal with his past yes there's going to be some consequences but yes there's also going to be some grace and God says I can still give you a great victory so not only is he learning how to deal with his past he's learning how to experience God's peace peace is something that we all want that sometimes we don't know how to uh, attain and with my kids I have three young kids and, and it seems like I'm constantly playing referee how many of you parents know what I'm talking about you're trying to keep peace in the, with the kids and sometimes my favorite thing to do just to mess with our kids a little bit is is when my oldest kids uh, live and Luke when they're fighting each other when they're arguing about something I'll say Luke come here and I'll say go give your sister a kiss right now and he's like no I don't want to give her a kiss and I'll say kiss her on the lips go over there and you gotta kiss her. And he's like no and then lives like no and, and uh, I'm always trying to find a way to hey let's make peace and, and you know we want peace sometimes to uh, attain peace is something that is is difficult to do but here Joshua is going to learn how to uh, live a peaceful life even when his surrounding uh, circumstances are unfortunate even when they're uncomfortable uh, and even when they're scary God's going to uh, deliver him peace but first I want you to see that that in this scenario the Gibeonites they actually experience peace as well notice verse number six it says this, and the men of Gibeon, they sent unto Joshua to the camp, to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly. They're like, hey, you made an alliance with us. You made a promise with us. Don't, don't go uh, breaking that promise now. And uh, they said, come and watch this. They say, save us and help us. Save us and help us. And I love this, this cry of help from the Gibeonites because it so adequately portrays our cry for salvation, Just like Gibeon and just like the Gibeonites were going to Joshua, whose name means Savior, they were saying, hey, come save us and help us see when we were lost and dead in our sins. That is the way that we can too experience peace. And that is the way that we experience salvation. The Bible says in Romans, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we see this picture. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't have a home in heaven secured for you forever, you can learn from the Gibeonites and say, God, save me. I can't do it on my own. I can't win these battles on my own. And I have to go to you, God, please help me and save me. And that's what we see uh, an example that Gibeonites' going and see, see see Joshua points us ahead to our true and better Savior Jesus Christ, because in him there is salvation. In fact, I love what the Bible says in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified. The word justified, I love, is a beautiful term when it comes to our salvation. Justification, it means to be declared righteous. It means that God's righteousness has been put on your account. So even when we were imperfect and even when we were dead in our sins, uh, when we accepted Christ, we were justified. We were declared righteous. God's righteousness was put on our account, therefore being justified. How does that happen? How can we experience God's righteousness in our life? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so just like the Gibeonites, they experienced peace because they cried out uh, to Joshua to help them, to save them. We too can experience that peace in our lives if we call out to our Savior, Jesus Christ. He can give us that peace. But not only did the Gibeonites experience peace, I want you to see that Joshua experienced peace as well. Notice verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of the war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. So Joshua's like, all right, I made this promise. I got to do this. You know, I've got to follow through. Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. God encourages Joshua. He gives him peace in this moment. Hey, I know this is scary. I know that you're outnumbered five to one, but let me just encourage you. I've already taken care of everything. The battle is already yours. I've already uh, secured the victory for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can say the same thing and take the same promise in your life because the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God, which always, everybody say always. Always which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And so I love this assurance that God gives Joshua here. He's like, hey, uh, I'm for you. I'm not against you. Hey, you don't have to be afraid. I'm gonna take care of this for you. I love what Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he said this, if God be our God, he will give us peace in trouble. When there is a storm without, he will make peace within. The world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. And so today, Joshua is learning how to deal with his past. He, he made some past mistakes, but God showed him grace. But he's also learning how to experience God's peace, and he's, he's learning that once he lives a life of faith, that God will deliver a peace that only God could deliver in his life. 2 Thessalonians 3 says this, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always. By all means, the Lord be with you all. And so number one today, when the odds are against you, remember, God is for you. When the odds are against you, God is for you. Number two, if you're still with me today, would you say amen? Number two, great faith must be linked with great action. Great faith must be linked with great action. Notice verse number nine. I want you to see their exertion here, their exertion. It says this, Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly. Joshua was a great military uh, strategist. He was a great military leader. And so he says, okay, we're going to take them by surprise. So he goes and uh, he came unto them suddenly and he went up from Gilgal all night. All night. And so what we see here is Joshua says, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to live by faith. We're going to trust God. But we're also going to do everything that we can in our power to see this victory come to fruition. We're willing to go all night long. See, uh, from Gilgal to Gibeon, this this journey that Joshua led his military leaders and his his army on was a 25-mile uphill journey. And so he says, you know what? We're going to trust God for the victory. In fact, God promised us the victory, but we're going to do our part. We're going to get involved, and we're going to go, and we're going to be willing to hike all night long to see God uh, do something special, to see God give us the victory. I love what Arthur Pink said. He said this, If more of the servants and the soldiers of Christ were willing to lose a night's sleep in his cause, we should oftener behold the Lord bearing his mighty arm, showing himself strong on their behalf. saying hey there ought to be something in us as followers of jesus that say you know what i'm willing to expend a little bit more energy i'm willing to come a little bit earlier i'm willing to lose a night's sleep i'm willing to do hey whatever it takes to see god move in my midst if it means working all night long if it means showing up early that's what i'm willing to do yes i can walk by faith and yes i trust that god will see it through but i'm gonna do my part if you're gonna ask be prepared to act Joshua says, we're going to go. We're going to fight all night long. We're going we're to we're take this journey all night long. We're going to do our part because faith without works is dead. And so he says, hey, we're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to, 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 to stay up and go early, and we're willing to expend energy. See, we have to link our faith with our action. If you are praying for a friend to be saved, that's a great thing to do. But don't forget to send the invitation. If you're praying for a new job, that's great. Make sure to fill out a few more applications. Great faith must be linked with great action. So Joshua says, man, we're willing to go all night long. Colossians 129 says this, Wherefore, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul says, man, I'm just laboring here. I'm willing to expend energy because I want to see God move in our midst. And so their exertion, we see their exertion in verse number 9, but I want you to see their exemption in verse number 10. Notice what it says. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth-horon, and and, and smote them to Azekah and unto uh, Makeda, verse number 11. So so the, the Lord's given them this great victory. They're winning. Remember, they were outnumbered five to one, and God's giving them this great victory. But then in verse number 11, it says this, and it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth-horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah, and they died. And they they were more which died with the hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. And so what happens here is that God, uh, showing and demonstrating his power in his miraculous control and sovereignty over even creation and even the weather, uh, he sends these hailstones down uh, to take care of the Canaanites, to take care of of the enemy. And it's interesting because the Canaanite gods of, uh, of Baal and others, they were known as the storm gods, but they were powerless. And God is demonstrating his power, saying, let me show you who really is in control over the weather, and let me show you who really is in control over creation so he sends these these hailstones and i was reading about some record breaking hailstones in 2018 there was this uh, hailstone that hit in argentina and it measured 18 centimeters in diameter diameter about seven inches at its widest width and so a massive hailstone but i think the record goes to uh, a hailstone that fell in kansas in 1970 it weighed 1. 1.7 pounds and uh, experts say that it would have been traveling at hundred miles an hour when it hit the earth and so you can imagine the kind of destruction and devastation that sending hailstones could cause but but there was another miracle in not only sending the hailstones and taking care of the enemy but there was a miracle in the fact that only the canaanites were destroyed by the hailstones not the israelites god was showing a few things he was showing he has good aim But he was showing that there is exemption from destruction for those that trust him. There was exemption. The hailstones did not hit them. And I just love this because... I just love this so much because, see, we were separated from God from our sin, and because of our sin, uh, we, we were we were separated from God. We didn't have access to a holy God, and we were doomed to a terrible place called hell, but God sent His only begotten Son to live a perfectly sinless life so that we could uh, trust in Him, so that we could place our faith in Him. Why? So that we could experience salvation, so that we too could have exemption, so that we too could avoid the destruction of hell. We could avoid the condemnation that, that would come to those that reject Jesus Christ, and so uh, there is this exemption. I love what uh, John chapter 5 verse number 24 says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Uh, I love this promise in in Romans chapter 8 verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Is anybody thankful today that we have this exemption uh, that that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus? Hey, hey, the hailstones hit everybody but it didn't hit the Israelites because they had faith and they were trusting in God and so God says, you know what? I'm gonna spare you from that destruction. I'm gonna spare you from that uh, devastation. God was saving them from something and I'm so glad that God has done the same in our lives and if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you are headed for destruction, but there is good news. You can place your faith in Jesus, and you can have that exempt status. You can, you can say, you know what? I'm not going to be a part of that condemnation, that destruction, because Jesus is a Savior, and he can rescue me and save me and spare me from that destruction. And so when the odds are against you, God is for you. Great faith must be linked with great action. And this leads us to our third And final thought today, number three, if you let prayer stretch you, it will sustain you. If you let prayer stretch you, it will sustain you. Now, at this point in the narrative, Joshua is winning the battle. He has the upper hand. The enemy is on the run. God sent hailstones. Uh, they, They were getting the victory. But there's one major problem. They were running out of daylight. They were running out of daylight. And if they ran out of daylight and the sun went down, then the enemy would have a chance to recover. They could uh, regroup, and they could be stronger, fortify themselves, and fight back, and they could lose out on getting this victory. And so Joshua wasn't satisfied with a partial victory. He wanted to see God bring a complete victory. So what does Joshua do? He prays. And he doesn't just pray kind of a casual and simple prayer. He prays this bold and audacious and powerful prayer. And he learns that if you let prayer stretch you, it will sustain you. The Bible says this in Psalm 55 verse number 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And so if you want to be sustained, you have to be willing to be stretched. You have to get uncomfortable. And so as we look at Joshua's prayer as we close today, I want to see three things about his prayer that I believe can be a great encouragement to us. If you're ready, would you say amen? Amen. Three components to his prayer. First, it was an uncomfortable prayer. It was an uncomfortable prayer. Notice verse number 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. So Joshua, he lifts up his voice to the Lord and he's praying and he prays this bold, dangerous audacious prayer. God, make the sun stand still. I mean, that, that was not just kind of a casual afterthought kind of a prayer. No, it was a specific prayer. A, a lot of times when we pray, we kind of just pray on autopilot, and uh, we kind of just, you know, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Okay, amen. And that uh, and, uh, we pray, God, be with me. And, and you know, we, we pray these sorts of things, and we pray in such a way that even when God answers our prayers, we don't even recognize it. I wonder if God said yes Everything that you prayed for in the last seven days, how would the world look different? Joshua prayed this uncomfortable prayer. It was not comfortable to stand up in the sight of all people and say, Lord, make the sun stand still. This was a bold request. It was a specific request and he was he was praying and letting his prayer stretch him. I love what the Bible says in Jeremiah 33:3, "Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things." Hey, I believe that the God that we worship can show us great and mighty things. I believe that when we go to two services, we can see some great and mighty things that our God can do some big things, some wonderful things. But are we asking him for those things? Are we praying? Like we worship a great God that hung the stars in the sky. Well, One time, Alexander the Great, there's a story about Alexander the Great where this servant came and he asked him this really great, this really big request. And to everybody's surprise that was there that day, Alexander the Great granted his request right away. He said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And everyone came to him afterwards and they said, Alexander the Great, you know, why, why would you say yes to this lowly servant? Why would you do such a big task for this person? And he said, because the size of his request honored me. The size of his requests honored me. I wonder if the size of our requests honor God. Or are we kind of stuck in a rut of just going through the motions, praying on autopilot with just mundane prayer requests? Or are we really letting our prayer life stretch us to where we are uncomfortable? Far too often we are comfortable in our prayers. I read a, I read a fascinating prayer that really convicted me this week. And the prayer was by an English sea captain who lived in the 1500s. His name is Sir Francis Drake. And uh, he said this in prayer. I'm gonna read his prayer. And it might challenge you like it challenged me. He said this, Disturb us, Lord, when we are too, we too well-pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore, disturb us lord when with the abundance of things we possess we have lost our thirst for the waters of life having fallen in love with life we have ceased to dream of eternity and in our efforts to build a new earth we have allowed our vision of the new earth uh, of the new heaven to dim disturb us lord to dare more boldly to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery where losing sight of land we shall find the stars We ask you to push back the horizon of our hopes and to push back the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. This we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. He said, disturb us. So often we pray prayers of deliverance. We pray, God, deliver me. And he can and we should pray those prayers. But I wonder what would happen if some people from Fontana, California would stop praying that God would simply just deliver us and that we would start praying that God would disturb us. That, that, that God would make us uncomfortable, that God would put a burden in our hearts so big that, man, we just got to go out and tell people about Jesus. And God would, would stir us and awaken within us a passion to reach more people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. There ought to be something in our heart. There ought to be something in our mind that says, God, I don't want to just live a life of complacency. I want to live a life of urgency. God, would you disturb me? I don't want to live a life of comfort. I want to live a life of impact. God, would you disturb me this morning? Do you want to be stretched? It's a dangerous thing to admit because he just might stretch you. He just might disturb you. He just might wake you up. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Joshua is willing to be stretched. I'm going to pray something big. I'm going to pray something... That even looks a little silly if God doesn't answer it. Yeah. Son, stand still. This was an uncomfortable prayer. But I want you to see, secondly, it was an unashamed prayer. It was an unashamed prayer because in verse number 12 it says this, and he said, in the sight of Israel. And so it would be one thing if Joshua was like, man, uh, my back is against the wall. Man, we might lose this battle. And Joshua kind of went to his tent. He was like, Lord, make the sun stand still. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really awesome. But instead, he prays this bold prayer in front of everybody. (laughs) God, would you make the sun stand still? And everyone else is like, what? They hadn't heard that one before. This was an unashamed prayer. Now, there's two kind of prayers that do not please the Lord. One is a safe prayer. The other is a showy prayer. And so Joshua was not up here being a show-off. The Bible tells us this in Matthew chapter 6. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of every street and that, that they may be seen of men verily i say unto you that they have their reward but thou when thou prayest enter into thine closet and when thou hast shut thy door pray to the father which is in secret and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly and so god is not pleased with a showy prayer he's not pleased when we're just trying to get attention listen to me wax eloquent and use a lot of words that you don't understand and god is not pleased with that but what's happening here with joshua is he's saying you know what i am not ashamed of my faith I'm not trying to be a show-off, but I'm trying to encourage the people around me. And so I'm going to pray this bold, audacious prayer in the sight of all men. See, far too often we are comfortable with kind of an under, undercover Christianity where we are even embarrassed to pray in public at a restaurant because the waiter might hear. And we're, we're afraid to pray where people might see because it might be a little bit awkward. Joshua said, I'm going to pray for the sun to stand still in front of everybody. It doesn't matter what people think. I believe in the power of God. I'm not going to let that stop me. I love what Psalm 40 says. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. The psalmist says, man, I was just letting everybody know. I declared the faithfulness of God, and I declared the salvation that is in God. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. And it's my prayer that we would have that kind of heart that says, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want to declare the righteousness of God. I want to let our community know that we worship a big God and a great God and a loving God. And it doesn't matter what anybody thinks because that is who I worship. That's that's Joshua. It was an uncomfortable prayer. It was an unashamed prayer. But here's the last thought. It was an uncommon prayer. And I want to tell you why it was an uncommon prayer. It wasn't just an uncommon prayer because of the size of the request, because that made it uncommon in and of itself. It wasn't just uncommon because of the faith that was involved because both of those things made it uncommon. It was an uncommon prayer because Joshua didn't pray that God would just take away the enemy. He prayed that God would make the sun stand still so that he could fight longer and that he could work harder. That's not how we pray. Typically, we pray, God, will you just take away my problems? God, will you just take care of my enemy? God, see, like if I was Joshua, God, more hailstones. (laughs) God, will you just take care of my enemy? Will you take care of my problems? But Joshua said, Joshua said, God, make the sun stand still so that I can work harder, so that you can use me to bring about the victory. See, typically we we pray and we want God to erase our problems, but God wants to employ and engage his people. He says, I want to use you. So yes, we want to pray for God to do the miraculous in our church and in our midst. And when we go to two services on February 23rd, yes, we want to pray and ask God to do what only God can do and that he would fill up this place two times on a weekly basis. Yes, we're praying for God to do a work, but we're also praying that God would use us to be a part of the work, that God would use us and that God would allow us to participate with him in the miracle. We're not just asking God to just uh, take care of it. We're asking God, will you use us to do something great? Will you use us to bring about more glory for your name? That's why it was an uncommon prayer. Joshua said, I just want the day to be longer so that we can work harder. I wonder if that's our spirit today. So here's Joshua. He's running out of daylight. His back is against the wall. And so he prays and he lets his prayer stretch him. And in so doing, the prayer sustained him. Maybe this morning you feel as though you are running out of daylight in your life. Maybe you feel like you're running out of energy and we're talking about whatever it takes. We're willing to stay up all night. And you're like, I don't know if that I got that in me. I like to sleep in. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I have what it takes. And I feel like I'm running out of energy and I'm running out of steam. I'm running out of faith. Maybe that's your heart today. And I want to encourage you with one last verse. Because... Remember last week we talked about Mary and Martha and Lazarus? Remember we talked about how how, how Jesus raised Lazarus back from the grave? Well, right before that happened, there's this powerful scene that deals with faith, what we're talking about this morning. It says this in John chapter 11, Then said Martha unto Jesus, this is when Jesus comes to the scene, but it was already too late because Lazarus had died. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So that shows Martha's partial faith. I believe that you could have done something, but you had to be here to do it. Do you see how she had a little bit of faith, but not enough that Jesus could do something now? But then she stretches her faith. Look at what it says. But I know, and I love this, but I know that even now, even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. She had this kind of faith that said, even now, even now when we're running out of daylight god i believe that you can do something even now when my bank account is empty i'll trust you even now when my marriage is hurting i'll trust you even now when i don't know my next step i'll trust you even now when it seems impossible god i believe that you are still the god of the impossible and so even now when i'm at my worst i believe that you can show up and do your best even now Even when my faith is running low, even when I feel like I don't have what it takes, God, I want to trust you and lean on you and not to my own understanding. When the odds are against you, God is for you. Great faith has to be linked with great action. And if you let your prayer life stretch you, just watch and see how it'll sustain you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.